Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for September has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they really are magnifico. Check them out at cashfly.com, that's C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. I'm Ian Broom, and I am joined, as I always am, by... By Donna Sorensen. Hello. Hello. Uh, Donna Sorensen, who's in a bad mood. Why are you in a bad mood? Give me three reasons why you're in a bad mood. Because I sometimes think to myself, if there's one thing that I'm annoyed at, that's not really enough to let it affect my entire mood, my entire aura. So, what about two? Two big things, poetry-related things. Two big, you've got two, well, two big things, and then give me one small thing. Oy, that's what she said. Okay. Um, so the first thing is that um, I was not um, on the next generation list of new poets. <laughs> This is just so such nonsense to be mentioning it, but the green monster uh, has raised its ugly head um, today. The Poetry Book Society announced their list of the poets that you need to watch in the next decade, the ones that are going to shape poetry in the UK, where I haven't even had a book published. It's, it's just absolute nonsense that I'm even thinking about it. Although technically, Ireland count is part of it as well. Anyway. I remember you talking, Ian, about the same kind of thing happening with um, with fiction. I mean, I mean, they do have big lists like this that come out every so often. But once every 10 years, if you didn't make it in, I can't make it in next time. It's, it's for poets who had the book published in the last 10 years. So it's preposterous, but I just, I feel slightly, slightly disappointed with life because I wasn't on it, even though, of course, I wasn't going to be on it. Do you, know what I'm, do you know what I'm getting at here? I know exactly what you're getting at. I, I was inexplicably... Di- I'm disappointed every time I don't win the Booker Prize. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was disappointed even when I uh, hadn't had a book published and I didn't win. You know, all of the... I was only eligible once, but I'm still uh, still upset every year when it's not me. I know, and I get disappointed when I see new, like, great poetry journals for their latest issues and my poems aren't in it, even when I haven't submitted... it's just completely stupid anyway so and the second thing which is 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 slightly more within my control I felt anyway when I found out about it was just a random incident this week where when um when my book came out a year ago I obviously had a look around to see what literary events were going on where I actually live in Copenhagen because there's not a great deal going on in English like there are uh, literary festivals and things like that but it tends to be for books that are also translated into Danish which mine isn't anyway there is an international poetry festival or there was in Copenhagen but they disbanded it and it wasn't going to happen anymore and I saw that and I was like oh that's a shame didn't think any more about it this is a year ago then a poet I know from Ireland tweeted that they were going to be here next week in Copenhagen because they've been invited to take part in, in the Copenhagen International Poetry Festival. And I was like, what? what? How, how on earth did I not know anything about this? It's insane that I actually live here and I didn't even know that was happening. If only you worked, you know, as a, as a job, as, a, as, a, as only you worked in some kind of tourism-related kind of event-based but position. I do... And, you know, this, this is not my fault, okay, because they renamed the festival to something like Reverse. 
think that's what it's called now, Reverse. They have like a, a very small Facebook page. Hang they, on, is, you know, is, is that a Danish word or is that just you saying reverse in a slightly strange way? <laughs> For some reason, I don't remember it having an E on the end of it. That's why I just, I, I said it in a silly way. Also because I'm I'm annoyed at them. Anyway, um, they, they haven't publicised this really at all. I, I've not seen it anywhere. I mean, you know, I am... I receive updates on all events that are happening in Denmark, really, pretty much. And I have not seen this at all. So, you know, very, very small reach we're talking about here. But I just couldn't believe it. It's embarrassing, I felt, that poets that I knew from Ireland were coming over down the road from me. And I wasn't even going to be part of it. Well, Can you understand my my frustration there? I can understand. So let's turn this into some sort of advice. Let's let's do a little bit yeah. of counselling and try and help people who, are, people who are listening. Thanks, yeah. Oh, I thought you meant me. Yeah, no, but well, of course, it's not all about me. I do understand that. We, we can help you, but hopefully in doing Everyone. that, we can we can help the world. Um, so you've got two things that are annoying you. One of them is that um, you are not in the um, the most up-and-comingest uh, poets. That's gone. You need to forget that. Totally. I've just forgotten it. It's never going to happen. moved on. Moved on. The second one, what do you plan to do about this? Well, when I found out about it, I immediately contacted them. <laughs> what did you Obviously. say? Did you did you say, look, I am I'm I'm so furious? Or yeah, it was you... just expletives. It was just stars and the at symbol, like and words. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was I was very balanced, and I just mentioned the fact that. Um, you know, obviously it was way too late in the day. This is next week. I just said, you know, if any if anyone pulls out and you need anyone to take part, here I am, told them all about me. And then I was like, and obviously next year I'd be very interested in taking part. I don't think you've been forthright enough. I think that's... Well, uh, I'm going to storm down there next week. I'm going to bash you, the doors down. Uh, you should. This is where I'm going with this. I think that you should. I mean, I wouldn't be aggressive. I wouldn't, I wouldn't cause any kind of damage to property. No but it sounds like the if that if 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 you're kind of paraphrasing quite accurately the email that you sent them, which is basically saying, "Oh, you you kind of forgot me," and oh, you know, if someone drops out, that's a very timid. I would suggest, and I hope I'm not upsetting you here any further. Um, but I would suggest that that's a. Uh, uh, d- before I carry on, I'd have probably do, done the same thing. But I know that what I probably should do if I was in your position is not not kind of give them not you need to give them a reason to get back in touch with you immediately you need to say to them i am here and i am i've i've i'm a writer i'm a i'm a local writer and i've got a book published and i'm available on these dates for an event or you could pick out another event for example there may be a spoken word uh, event that could be like an open mic style event you can say please put me down for a slot on the spoken word open mic mic event and and just make it happen. If you don't get any reply, then you need to go there and you need to I, find these I events will. and get I talking will. to people. Yes, I did not really write a very timid email. Don't worry. Obviously, I mentioned the fact that, you know, I mean, I I do a lot of stuff. I did. I picked myself up. I blew my own trumpet. Uh, in terms of events, there are no open mics. It's a very, very small festival. It's tiny. There's just a few events and, you know, it's just the way it is. Well, I will can, go can, along. Can I'm, obviously, I'm going to go along. To, you what? Can they have another event? Can 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 you say, look, I can get. I can. Get, it, I, like they've got flyers out. It's been publicised. Apparently, not that I've seen it, but they have printed flyers. I mean, is apparently. that really, is that really the end? Of it? When someone is that like is that the kind of literary equivalent of the fat lady? 
Well, I think it is. I think if someone's organised a literary festival and a week before somebody calls up and is like, you know, hello, I'm I'm here, you forgot about me. I mean, how on earth would they know about me? This was my responsibility. I guess it was actually my publisher's responsibility. But the fact of the matter is, is that there was no International Poetry Festival last year. It's just something they've put together this year. So we just, we, we missed each other. We passed each other in the night, like ships in the night. Okay, all I'm saying is, as a general rule, folks, is if you want something, you've got to go out and get it, and you've got to sort of put yourself out there as a writer. It's hard to do. I, I struggle with it, but... But um, I would also say it's really important to, you know, if you see that there have been, if there have been events and things like that in the past, especially with events like that, like, watch out. Watch out for changes. Like, you know, a, a rebranding of a festival or a shift in, in location or date or anything, you know, because I just assumed, oh, that's never going to happen again. Goodbye International Poetry Festival, which was was silly. You know, you've got to be going back in every so often and, and keep updated on what's happening, don't you? You do. It's a challenge, but you do. Anyway, so there's my two big things, and um, and that's it. So, so I, don't, I haven't even got a little thing to tell you. Thank you for letting me uh, share that with you all, everybody. How's your week been, Ian? Um, quick. What? I mean, it has How been the. It be? It has been the standard seven days, but it's felt much quicker than um, than uh, than um, I would have liked. But it's been good. It's been busy. Um, I'm going to kind of talk a little bit later on. What we're going to come on to is the idea of side projects. Um, mm. And so let's assume, let's assume that we're all let's let's go for. I'll, 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 let me guess. Most of us have a full time job of kind of sorts or a, a regular occupation in in some way and then we're writers that's kind of our main thing outside of that job is we, we write fiction or we write poetry or we we do something we're, we're at least interested in it in some way otherwise we wouldn't be talking or listening um but a lot of us have something else as well like a side project that we do that's that's kind of uh that we that we enjoy or we might do it to build an, an author platform those two uh, terrifying words um and and you might say Look at this. This is this is kind of our side project, doing this podcast, and um, and I just want to talk about the idea of that because, well, I'll come on to it later. But it's it's something I've always recommended to uh, other people who have said that they want to be writers, copywriters, for example, or they want to be write fiction. I've always I've always advocated the idea of projects, 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 and that's how my brain works. I always want to do something new, try something different. Um, but, um, you know, when should the side projects kind of end? And there's an article that I want to talk about. So that's kind of a a main topic area that we're going to talk about later on. And the reason that I, um, the reason that I, uh, I link that back to what I've been uh, doing this week is because I've been working freelance. And as I think I've already said on the podcast, uh, previously in previous weeks, um, at the moment i'm not i'm not doing an awful lot of actual writing as in copywriting i've kind of branched out and i've been doing video making audio recording all these kinds of things things that i wouldn't have been able to do and sell as a service if i hadn't have done all the side projects over the course of the years i basically just covered the entire subject in my introduction to it <laughs> however talking of the book of prize let's get this out of the way the uh, the shortlist was announced this week. It's something we always mention on the podcast every year. So the Booker Prize, which this time, this for the first year, um, was open to uh, international authors. Most uh, well, it's always been open to 
international authors from uh, specific places, but this year uh, uh, US authors were allowed in. And um, and uh, the shortlist, the first shortlist was announced this week, and there are three authors from the UK, and there are um, one, two from the US, and then um, an Australian author as well. So I don't really know what to talk to you about this. I don't really know what to say. Um, well, I, uh, if I confess that I've not seen the list, I, so I don't know who you're talking about. Well, Are there that, any uh, big names on it? Yes, there are a couple of uh, huge names on it. There's Howard Jacobson with his latest novel, Jay. He always seems to get nominated, no matter yeah, what he writes. Yeah, he wrote that one that I gave up on. Yes, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ali Smith is on it with her oh, yeah. her novel, How to Be Both. Ali Smith, who I like a lot and we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, and um, there's also a, a book by a US author called uh, the author is called Karen Joy Fowler and the book is We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves and I'm reading it not as I speak but over the last couple of weeks I've been reading that um, enjoying it? I'm enjoying it but I'm not I'm not Booker Prize shortlisted enjoying it oh. if that makes sense like it's 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 not it's a, a good book, but um, but I haven't done a lot of reading this year. It's been something that I've really struggled with. It's mainly been because of setting up the business and having to spend a lot of evenings working on, you know, paid work. So my the mm. reading always slips. So I I really have been a bit clueless with the. I mean, the long list was fairly alien to me. Um, anyway, so that's out there. People can go online. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can go and check out the shortlist, see if there are any other books on there that interest you. Let us know if, there have, if, if you've read any of them and what you think. Um, and um, and, and, uh, and where, where would people find those show, no- show notes, though, Donna? They'll find them at 5by5.tv slash WFYL slash 127. Indeed, and that's all the links that uh, links to articles and different bits and pieces that we talk about on the show. You can find at that address. And I will personally be adding those uh, Booker shortlisted uh, titles to my own personal list of Booker shortlisted books that I've never read, which is growing. And I now realise that I will never read them, all of them. It's a, it's a tragic, uh, tragic thought. <laughs> oh, it is. That's horrible, isn't it? I mean, all of these books which we get recommended. And, I mean, you know, if we just went always after the Booker... I mean, we'd only read Booker books, wouldn't we, if we just went after Booker, but, well, if we got through them all. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, there's a the lot Booker's of... Booker's list is not everything, is it? No, 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 not, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> read, read what you want, that's what I say. <laughs> yeah, totally. Great, do you have any other articles or anything to share? Nothing, I'm waiting for you to tell us all about Super Thursday. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, this week it's quite exciting because instead of uh, just talking about news that I've read online, I've got an actual physical magazine in front of me. Can you hear this? That is it's a proper... It's the bookseller. Sounds like paper. It is paper and it smells great. Um, and being completely stingy, this is not something I bought myself. My mum came to visit a while ago and she, um, she, she brings me things like the bookseller. <laughs> She always brings me. Uh, she always gives me uh, writing magazines as well. You should be very yeah. thankful. I am. I thanked her personally, especially because in this one, I just one Saturday morning, I got up really, really early with my daughter at like six o'clock, and um, I got a cup of tea and I sat on the sofa and uh, while she watched Teletubbies, while that was going on in Alien in the background, I just read 
the bookseller. It's from this summer. Um, and um, I very much enjoyed uh, their theme of Super Thursday. Do you know what Super Thursday is, Ian? Um, I do, yes. Well, I'll just explain. <laughs> That's good. Excellent. Just in case um, listeners don't know what Super Thursday is, Super Thursday is um, basically is a term which has been embraced by the entire publishing industry now. Um, it was something that was coined by someone writing for the bookseller quite a few years back. Um, just to show that there was one Thursday in the year where absolutely shed loads of books get published or not published but released Um, and it's before the Christmas rush so it's in October and um, this year is 9th of October that is a day when I was just staggered by the number of books that are going to be published on that day like we talk a lot about you know about the traditional publishing industry and how difficult it is for a lot of publishers when you see these figures you think really is traditional publishing under threat can you guess ian how many hardback books are being published in the uk on the 9th of october this year um i don't know um just all on one day just on one day um and so just for Christmas, I suppose people are going to be out about 1,185. <laughs> no, that's that whole week. You are such a cheater. Anyway, 315 on the actual day on Super Thursday. So imagine that. Your book is being published on the 9th of October. It's being flung out into the world with 314 other books on the same day in one market the uk market and that's, that's overwhelming don't you think it makes you wonder what the point is isn't it <laughs> well it certainly makes me think wow there are a lot of books being published there are you know people are obviously still making money some way one way or another from it it's true it is it is a lot but it's just an, also an indication of uh, how much of a you know, a big business publishing well, still is, always has been, and you know, and will be in one way or another. It's um, you know, people people plan these things. You know, every all these all, all the uh, all the kind of especially the bestsellers. They're all the marketing campaign and the release date are all planned to the you know to the last to the last um, very specific thing. And um, and it's uh, you know it's a big global monster of a of an industry, which is I suppose why people are so keen to rebel against it because it does have this kind of faceless kind of uh, um, uh, kind of look about it. Where you know, if you can can you have a faceless look? I'm not even sure, but you know it's it is a, a behemoth of a, of a thing, and and this just shows it. And and you do kind of think as a single person with a with one book, how can I possibly? stand out how can i possibly make a make a any kind of impression on 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 anyone or anything but you know people do and it's not it's not about uh, this is something that i've tried to embrace in my in my head um you know as a as a very much a, a middleist author with a book that's been out a couple of years i've tried to hang on to the to the fact that i know that a group of people have read the book and enjoyed it and it's made a difference to those people and 
whilst uh, you know it's not one of the best sellers who who uh, who are going to have this like you know hundreds of thousands of readers it's um it, that, that it's not really about that so whether your book's released on a day where you're the only person that's publishing a book or whether it's one of 315 you're probably you're probably still going to be looking for and and, and attracting that's that same group of people that kind of that initial audience that you're trying to collect and of course over time and if you release more books then that pool and that group of people will ideally grow but just because you're one of 315 people on a day you know people don't buy 315 books on a day and you know the following week will probably be a fairly similar kind of number yeah it is the week the week before and the week after are also massive figures so if you just yeah. ac- if you just accept that you are always going to be um, a, a small fish in a pretty big pond, then. Um, but but you know, it's funny because I I felt when I read this I felt like I was in an entirely different pond. <laughs> I mean I honestly did. I when I saw that you know people that are competing for for big sales, obviously to start with it's mainly celebrity celebrity biographies, memoirs, comedian books. You know, <clears throat> there are obviously big fiction titles and everything as well but it just seemed like it was another world really and and like you say these big machines publicity machines like clanking into operation people like Stephen Fry Stephen Fry has a book coming out on one of these days and I just wondered I, I mean it's it's fascinating how I mean he will obviously be getting a lot of a lot of attention but I wonder what he thinks about being published on the same day as 314 other books that must also feel a bit strange for him. I don't know. Maybe, but even Stephen Fry, I think, is still going to be pu- publishing uh, a book to the same group of people. It's a much bigger group of people. But if you've not already bought a Stephen Fry book, unless the book is, the book itself, I guess, is uh, a particular topic or a particular, you know, something in his life had happened that everyone was, you know, in particularly interested in. I mean, obviously, it's going to sell lots of copies, but it's probably going to be the same people who buy the book like if i release another book i imagine it'll be the same group of people that read my second novel ideally having two novels out will help that group spread and become more but Mm. stephen fry is still publishing to the same group of people it's just a much bigger group of people um and he obviously has the advantage of having been on british tv for the last 30 years yeah that's true that's true um would you like to do another little quiz? Um, yeah. <laughs> Good, I'm glad you said that. Um, it's very interesting to look back at the last few years about the biggest Super Thursday titles, so the, the books which sold the most on Super Thursday, and to compare them to the Christmas number one, because, I mean, that's the whole reason why they're being released on Super Thursday, so that people start buying them for Christmas. Um, it's not always the same title. Can you guess the author that has had the most Christmas number ones in the UK in terms of books over the last uh, six years? So, We're talking all kinds of books here. Yeah, Jamie Oliver. Yes, nailed it. Is that right? Yep. Discotech. Three years running, he's had Christmas number one with various cookbooks. I guess Jamie Oliver, I mean, presumably everybody listening knows him. He's a, a British, well, I don't really know what you call him. I guess you call him a chef. I think I think he is a qualified chef. I think we can say Let's that. Let's see. Restaurateur. Oh, maybe he's a cookbook author now. Um, 
Yeah, so Jamie Oliver, three weeks in a row. One of them, um, J.K. Rowling, with the casual vacancy, was the Super Thursday winner. She sold 30,000 copies on that one day. Um, but she wasn't Christmas number one. Jamie took it away from her. Yeah, well, cookbooks. Everyone loves a cookbook. They do as Christmas presents. I guess that's the thing, you know, you're giving it to other people. You might, you don't want to risk the casual vacancy in case it's, you know, rubbish. Back then I thought that was her first book, wasn't it, after Harry Potter? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I just, I thought, wow, you know, Christmas number ones. It's a funny old thing. Um, we talk quite a lot on the show about um, Nathan Filer. You've mentioned him quite a few times, haven't you? He's a friend of the show. Yeah, well, he's been on the show, and um, we share an agent, and I've you know met, met him a few times. I'm, I, I don't want to over egg the pudding. You know, we, don't, <laughs> we, we don't live together or anything like that. No, no but it was just I, I was also looking at the um, the, the bestseller charts for the UK as well for the year so far because. We were talking, um, I can't remember whether it was last week or the week before, about um, Eleanor Catton, the winner of last year's Booker Prize, who has set up a bursary to help other writers read. I'm sure maybe if you listened last week, you remember it was last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we were saying, wow, that's amazing that she's she hasn't written that many books, but she can already afford to give out bursaries to other authors, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was, uh, I don't know, she's won a... a a number of prizes, um, I think, for her her book. But it's, it wasn't her first novel, so she's also had a, two or three successful novels. Um, but she was one of the youngest ever winners of uh, of the Booker, wasn't she? Wasn't she the youngest ever? Full yeah, stop? M- maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah. Um, and so we were saying, well, I mean, you know, if you, Nathan Filer, um, we were considering him because he won the Costa. Yeah. Last year, the year before, uh, this, the, the, he is the most recent winner. And what it would mean to a to a book or to an author financially to win an award like that, um, and looking at the bestseller lists, just to look at the number of units that that they are selling. I mean, it was it was just staggering to me. It really was, you know. I mean, we're talking the the top books in the UK charts. I mean, literally, like. Millions <laughs> of copies, you know. Yeah. Well, th- yes. I mean, I do have. Uh, yeah. Well, the way this, the way it works is, and this is uh, you've mentioned names of people, and you can kind of forget them. And the, the, what I'm not referring to them specifically here. Um, no, and, and Nathan, Fyler, I'm not. I'm sh- yes, I'm sure he hasn't sold millions and millions of copies of his book, but I'm just I in think, general. I think he. I think he tweeted that he'd sold over a hundred thousand a couple of months ago. Yeah, which is an awful I mean, that is, that's impressive, isn't it? It's amazing. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's a brilliant book, as we've repeatedly said. It's, you know, it's a fantastic book. Um, but the, the, way, the way that publishing kind of works is if, you, if, you, if someone gets, uh, if an author is given a, quite a large advance with a mainstream publisher, uh, not sorry, not mainstream, but, you know, one of the big six, as it were, I don't even know how many of them are, there are now, um, then the publisher, the the onus is on them, and the financial, the business pressure, is on them to make sure that it gets every chance it deserves um, to uh, uh, to recoup that advance and to become a profitable, successful book. So if you if you do get um, as an author, if you get a large advance, then you can be relatively sure that you're going to get a lot of marketing support from your 
from your publisher, which is extremely helpful. If you've also written a fantastic book, then it's kind of double trouble, so to speak. Mm. You know that you're gonna you're onto a winner, and um, uh, and you know I think that that's uh, I think that's reasonable to say that about 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 Nathan's book. It's a fantastic book. He got a great advance with uh, uh, one of the big publishers, and you know a real recipe for success. And then it you know started winning prizes as well. It's kind of you know people it's people hear about it and that's that's such a such a key thing i know it sounds so simple but just people knowing that a book exists is the first step and um and if you can get someone to help you do that like a big book your your publisher then i can't tell you the, the difference it makes but in terms of going into the shop and seeing which ones are being sold, I think I've said before, the biggest frustration with me having been published, it's you know, almost entirely been a positive experience. But the one thing that really uh, I found frustrating is the fact that it's barely in any bookshops in the UK. You can go into any bookshop and say, I would like a copy of Ian Broom's Ace for Angelica, and they can probably have one for you in a couple of days, order it in, no problem. But as, as far as actually being in a shop... Um, it's fairly few and far between. There are places. Um, you can certainly go to Foils, I believe, in London, and you can find a, a few copies there, and a number of Waterstones, but not many. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's really frustrating, but part of the reason for that is because the stuff you see at the front of the shop is the stuff that publishers have helped financially make sure are there. Um, and I don't know the complete ins and outs of it, and this isn't like some huge conspiracy theory. I mean, it's just obvious kind of, it's the way the world works. But it's not like you write an amazing book and you're guaranteed any success. There are hundreds of thousands of amazing books that no one's ever heard of for a number of reasons. There are lots of rubbish books that end up at the front of the, the, your store in, water, in the front of Waterstones or the US equivalent Borders as was or whatever it may be. You know, they, there are lots of rubbish books there, and that's because, like, celebrity celebrity memoirs, for example, lots of them, terrible. But because they've paid this celebrity a fortune, they make sure that it ends up at the front of the shop. So those things aren't always there on merit. Sometimes they are, and that's great, but let's be honest, a lot of the time they're not. And mm. so that's kind of the way it works. And as an author, what happens um, is that you do... Well, first of all, it's very easy to get fr- frustrated... Um, especially if your book's done well kind of critically and people seem to like it, you kind of think, well, why is it not sold more? Um, and you kind of just, I guess, have to get used to the reality of it. But there's, there are also lots and lots and lots, and I think this is what you were saying at the start, somehow kind of loop back, the, you know, you saw um, the fact that you weren't on this list of, uh, of uh, poets to watch out for in the next goodness knows how long. Um, what I find you have is an author it's not always about the green eye monster it's not always about being envious it's more about a continuous stream of sliding doors moments where you think what if what if what if (laughs) what if i've been on that list how many copies would i have sold yeah or what if what if my book had been with a different publisher or what if what if i'd have gone to a different meeting or what if i'd have written it sooner i mean that's the one for me that's the one that i really I can do nothing about, but for me, I started writing the book in 2003, publishing industry, all going well, everyone's very happy, the entire world economically uh, treacherous, but no one knows it yet. And then 
massive recession everywhere and then about 18 months later I decide that this is the time to try and get my book published and lots of publishers say oh we like the book but we're not spending any money and I'm sat there thinking how did this happen <laughs> and uh, and that's my uh, you know I guess that's one my ultimate sliding door moment for me is like you know what if what if what if I'd have been the author that finished a year and a half before or or that kind of thing so there are lots of these moments but we there's nothing we can do about them it's, I mean there's no different to there are lots of examples of this just in life and um and there's there's not much we can do about it we just kind of have to uh, uh deal with it and write the next book I mean that's the advice that people always give isn't it you know you write a book finish it it does what it does in the in the kind of in the hit parade and you write the second one piece of advice don't have identical twins in the same month makes it more difficult uh, do you have them they're amazing have it's lots terrible advice have uh, lots of identical twins but um <laughs> in terms of your literary career just try and spread it out a bit <laughs> so Indeed. um was that what you were planning on talking about when you gave me those figures <laughs> well yes but i was actually thinking about like a reality check in terms of like you know when we're talking about author's salaries that's that's what i was kind of thinking about because i've i see here on the list that that the shock of the fall has sold 145,000 copies okay close to 146 if you take i mean you know what would be the average royalty on a on a copy uh, depend it depends how much it's selling for and hardback and paperback and ebook and all that kind of thing it's almost impossible to work out but i mean you know we're not talking more than 15 grand out of uh, presumably out of that massive wadge of books that have been sold? I don't know. Well, that was just interesting to me that, you know, this is this is a book that has won a major award and has sold absolutely loads of copies, is on the bestseller list and everything. Um, and really, presumably the award prize money is, is what is making it possible for people that win these awards to carry on writing or to, to write, you know, it's not it's not the books being sold. That's what I wanted to say. Well, no, and that's because we're all. <laughs> that's because the industry has got us all in its grubby paws, totally squeezing, has. squeezing our creativity to uh, to make a, a kind of a, a, a toothpaste style um, money machi- machine. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Squeeze me some author paste. Yeah, um, yeah, great. Well, I was not getting depressed by these figures, but you have. Comp- yeah. I don't know. You don't sound massively enthusiastic about it. No, but but my my to go back to what I was saying at the start of that ludicrous monologue, um, <laughs> we need to not worry about that, and we need to focus on the, our our readership, our the group of people. Group makes it sound like a small amount, like I've, <laughs> a small room of people. Yeah. But you know, I've I've I know that I've um, well, I, I know up until about six months ago, maybe even longer than that, that I've sold. I've I've definitely sold, I guess, between three and four thousand books, copies. Yeah, cool. Um, that's good thanks Donna um, and and so that's the group of people that if I write a second novel I want to make sure that I sell that many again and then hopefully more so and, and I shouldn't sort of write you should when you're writing you, you should, or even if you're at the point where you're trying to get published I would try to avoid thinking right let's hope I get 145,000 books sold um, because it's, it's unlikely to happen. You need to sort of play it by ear and try and build a, an audience and uh, make sure that that group of people who you who uh, did buy your book and and do things like get in touch and email you or 
say something on Facebook or Twitter to say that they did, make sure you reply and say, oh, thank you, and like, have some sort of uh, engagement rather than just, you know, letting all the conversation wash over you. It's like, you know, you need to sort of kind of nurture and make sure that that group of people um, are uh, the ones that you think about and focus on. Cause but also that they, you're right, that they know when your next book comes, that they know. Like, for example, do you, what um, what details did in your bio and everything and in the book did you have in terms of your social media presence did you have your blog uh, mentioned? Yeah, web, web address and uh, Twitter. Yeah. But not your Facebook page or anything? Um, no. I don't think so. so. So you have to assume that the people that are reading your book are people that would tweet? Well, I guess so. Maybe I would do things differently. <laughs> put the, well, that's interesting, in. isn't it? To consider like what, how you... How you pr- what you present in the bio is is really important. If people have enjoyed your book, that it's actually to say, look, if you enjoy this, keep up to date with me as an author and find out what I'm going to publish next or when when it's coming out, so you can buy the next one. I think what I would do next time is actually ask for those things in, in, actually in the book, like in the acknowledgments, say and say something along the lines of, get in touch if you want to ask any questions about the book or tell me what you thought and all that kind of thing. Yeah. absolutely something like that you know to keep people you've got to get them signed up to your personal mailing list anywho so i'm not really sure where we went with that but um but we definitely talked (laughs) (laughs) about super thursday and enormous book sales and author paste indeed um last little thing i wanted to mention from the bookseller from this issue um was just uh, a, a new publishing company that had been set up which i like the sound of just quite simply because it was set up by um, an ex Harper Collins publisher, and in their kind of manifesto, they said that they were designed to offer a fair share of success for authors, and that they were offering ebook royalties of fifty percent, and contracts that guarantee authors a regular meeting to discuss all aspects of publication. Now, doesn't that sound like a good deal? It does sound like a good deal, and we're going to come on to side projects, and one of the projects slash businesses slash kind of entrepreneurial ideas that I have is to do something similar for audiobooks and say, well, how come audiobooks, people you know, people self-publishing their own audiobook, how come that Amazon only gives them, Amazon slash Audible only give them 50% unless they sell like a squillion and then they can get up to 70%. But basically mm. the rights are rubbish for, for that, I would say. I mean, they're worse if you publish traditionally, of course. But mm, Yeah, um, exactly. But I mean, it, those are quite actually quite good figures considering compared to... Yes, but, but I still think they could be more. And uh, mm. I think that you should be able to... What if you wanted to just publish an aud- a single story in audiobook format and sell it and not just sell it on your own website but sell it on a bigger platform i've kind of in my head i'm going well why doesn't that platform exist maybe i should make it but mm. um, i'm venturing onto the side projects well i should just mention the name of the the publishing company it's called september publishing we'll put it in the show notes in case you want to submit there if you've got something in the works i don't know whether that's a sustainable thing though for a publishing company what do you think to offer that kind of royalty if if you're also going to be employing people to to presumably to do traditional publishing as well traditional publicity and all that jazz well happy as i am in the traditional publishing world for my uh long fiction i do think that at some point they're going to have to change things mm, yeah well it'd be interesting to see how it does september publishing i just wanted to mention that can i ask you a question oh yeah go on do you have a musical instrument nearby oh, i do Hit it. And 
I'm gonna hit it now. Listener's question. Would you like me to read out the listener's question or are you gonna go for it? Uh, you go for it. Alrighty. This is actually, I believe, a question from last week. We've been getting some great questions um, over Twitter. It's been fantastic. Thanks to everyone who sends us questions or comments. Um, this was from E. Christopher Clark. Oh, I wonder what the E stands for. Erica. <laughs> Indeed, probably. Um, and E. Christopher Clark asked us, how many times do you send out a piece for publication short story in this case before giving up or reworking it discuss Ian yes it's a tricky one and not something I've got a huge amount of experience in but I guess the assumption there is that if it's not being published then it's uh, then it's wrong that it needs sorting out depends what sort of feedback you get so if you send a piece out for publication a short story in this person's case then um, then you might get feedback on it and if the feedback says you know, it could be the it could be your first, the first p- publication that you approach. They could get back in touch and say, "Oh, we loved it. We were going to publish it, but the ending was rubbish." Then you rework it immediately. Well, not immediately. You think about it and have a look and see if you agree, and then potentially rework it straight away before you send it to anyone else. Um, or it could be that something has just gone out so many times and no one wants it, and um, and perhaps it is best to give up. Um, who knows? It's hard to do that, though. It's very hard to give up on something. Um, it is hard to do. But I, I would say another really important thing, especially with poetry and I guess also with short stories, um, is that you might just not have sent it to the right... It might not be the right fit for that publication. And I've, I had a poem which I sent out to quite a few journals before I sent it to one that it just it was the right kind of fit for that poetry journal because they do have very different styles, very different things they're going after... Um, and and sometimes you just nail it where you where you need to obviously have read these journals before. I mean, that goes without saying, to see what kind of things they're publishing. But I have found sometimes that poems are better fits for some journals uh, compared to others. So that's also something I think which you need to take into consideration. Very sound advice. And also, if you, if you, have, if you have a publication that you're going after and you, you have a story that hasn't worked, obviously that you know, you can say, okay, that might not have worked, not just, it might not be crap. It might, oh, sorry, rubbish. (laughs) You're going to bleep me again. It's ridiculous. Um, (laughs) But it might just be that it was not the right kind of story for that, for that journal. Um, Obviously, then you're not going to rework it and send it back, but you, you know, you could go and work on something else for that journal. Um, But I mean, we're talking about stories here that we assume are not rubbish, that are not complete rubbish, and poems that are not complete rubbish. Because, I mean, it's very, very, very difficult. It's about a lot of these poetry journals and other journals and and publishers as well. I think it's about finding that balance between your head and your heart. If something is in your heart worth pursuing, still, just check with your head that it's actually, in, you know, that there isn't something serious with it. Um, and and in the opposite uh, way around. Um, you know, if you think something's really good, but uh, sort of technically, but your heart just isn't really in getting it published. I mean, that's just, not everything has to be published, especially in short stories and poes, poetries, poetries, <laughs> poems. Um, you know, the, the the whole point really is that you know, not everything goes in. I think is that right? What do you mean? Well, if you've got a load of poems, you can assume that some aren't going to be 
published in somewhere oh, they just absolutely I mean for my first collection I think I had 16 published and there were 50 poems in that collection wow there you go and I yeah so there but yes I, I it is a really difficult um, question and I think it is really important to be able to say this hasn't worked because of the way it's written and to rework it if that's what you think has gone wrong because that is that's like you said it's the hardest thing oh no giving up on something I think is easier you said it was very hard I think it's easier than reworking something that's I think much harder because you get attached to it in the way it is and you think no but that that story is done that is how it needs to be you know yes it's true it's not it's not easy but you know keep at it that's the uh that's the uh that's the point here to keep going mm-hmm. you'll yeah. get you'll get there in the end maybe not with that story but um eventually with something indeed should we talk about projects and side projects i know you're gagging too <laughs> not really it's just that we've got a very little amount of time left again for our main topic but that's okay maybe we should just start calling it something different just a topic <laughs> Minor topic. Yeah. Minor of main topic. topic. Yeah. Let's, let's go with that. <laughs> I think that we've adopted that officially now. So our minor topic for this week is it's projects. Projects, projects, projects. So I sometimes get asked, I won't say always or often, because it's not true, but I have been asked in the past um, how I get to be or how I got to be um, a copywriter this is my day job we're talking about now Um, and you know kind of how I ended up where I am now Um, which is a freelance copywriter with my own business but I worked in the design industry for six and a half years so uh, for a kind of a a fancy design company with a certain cachet that comes with that kind of thing Um, and people would always ask and, 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 and the reality is when I got that job I was fairly underqualified as a uh, in, in terms of in terms of experience um, as a copywriter I had done copy editing and that kind of thing but I went from basically writing um, university prospectuses into plain English to trying to come up with ideas for marketing campaigns for kind of big blue chip companies and it, it was you know I, I nearly drowned in the kind of uh, pressure of it for the first few months it was incredibly difficult um and there were lots of times when i thought why on earth did they give me this job <laughs> i can't do it um but the reason that i think i got that job and i'm i'm kind of certain that the reason i got that job because i asked the person who gave it me in fact i was with them just today um is it wasn't because of my writing experience in the context of work, in the context of, you know, work for an employer. It was the fact that already, when even at that time, when I guess I would have been in my early 20s, I'd got this whole list of projects that I'd done outside of my more conventional work um, that had been either successful or just interesting or, or relevant. And And I think that I was given the job based on that it was the projects that I did outside of outside of my main job um, so it, it's it's not always about your employment background it's a lot to do with what you've done in other areas um, and I think that's particularly true if you're young I'm not quite so sure it would be true for me now because obviously when you get to in my case I won't say mid-30s let's say 33 because it's true um, when you get to this sort of age you are expected to have you know a, a reasonable kind of employment background anyway 
I'm now 33, as previously stated, and I'm still doing side projects. I have uh, the blog, which I'm working on to uh, to update and start using a bit more often. The podcast, which is, you know, um, a, a primary side project of, of not just mine, but ours, Donna. We do it every yeah, week. Every week. And, and 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 Slaving away. <laughs> it's just once a week. But we've both got children, and it's... An evening, it takes up an entire evening. It's like a two or three hours work. Well, two or three hours work for me. I mean, you knock off after an hour, but <laughs> um, but you know, it's a, it's a commitment. Is is my point? Anyway, so I, I think that a lot of writers do this. I said this earlier on in the show. I think this is a common kind of scenario for not just people who work in copywriting, but any kind of writer of fiction or poetry or short stories that also has a full time job or even a, a part time job. We're always sort of conflicted with our kind of uh, two different lives almost. Anyway, so this, uh, an article I read today, which is by uh, Mike Montero, who uh, uh, runs a design agency in the US, very kind of well-known designer on, on the internet and stuff. And he wrote a blog post, which he posted on Medium, and it's called Everything Dies, Sometimes They Die Well. And I shall paraphrase, paraphrase quickly, but basically, um, uh, Mule... Mule is his design company. Uh, they set up Mule Radio, which is basically like a mini podcast network that he was doing. He'd, he'd got like a couple of podcasts that he was doing and thought, why don't we just um, try and find more people and uh, and have like a network? And uh, and they attracted some big names and the whole thing took off. And he suddenly realised that it was a business because they started taking sponsors and having to organise all that kind of thing, which is a lot of work. And so basically realised that this was a business and he already had a business, which was the design company and the thing that he trained for years to do, his primary source of income still, and didn't want to give that up. But here was this other business that kind of built up out, out of a side project. And so the article was basically an announcement saying that Mule Radio, the side project, was being completely scaled back and uh, being made much less stressful so that they could refocus on the primary business. So... Um, in terms of uh, the way where I am at the moment, I think I said earlier, I've got all these different ideas for doing things. I've even described a couple of them. Also got the uh, the fictional podcast that I've been thinking of using Patreon for, which I've talked about for the last three months. That's kind of sat there with a couple of scripts that I've written waiting for me to decide whether I'm going to do it or not. But the point is, with all of these side projects, all of these ideas, or even even if you just have one idea and one side project, it's... It's forever that that tussle between doing something which will probably be really interesting and rewarding and fulfilling, but balancing it against, A, the thing that brings in money into your house, which is presumably your your full-time job, in my case, or the, my freelance business, and, and, and also, in a lot of our cases, and while we're talking about it here, of course, your writing, your, your fiction, which, um, uh, if, you, if you have it, if you're unpublished, then... Uh, then you won't receive any money for, so it's very much a labour of love. Or even if you have been published, like in my case, where it is not bringing any money in uh, whatsoever, you know, that's the truth of it after after the initial kind of uh, advance and stuff. So what do we do with all these kinds of side projects? Is it even worth having any? Should all these ideas that I'm having, should I just say, well, they're good ideas, but that's not what you do. You are a freelance copywriter who runs a business and you are also an author, who happens to also have had one book published and therefore should be making sure that another one comes out as soon as possible. Should I be just ignoring all of those other things and focusing on those two main things? Or 
or do they all complement each other do they do they all kind of blend into one and if you kind of cut off one side of your life because it is like having different lives if you cut off one side of it will it have a negative effect on the other side and finally my other question to myself and to to the rest of us is if you do have a side project and this is not premonition listeners don't panic but if you do have a side project that does take up a, a reasonable amount of your working week how do you stop once you started and that's that's especially um interesting question if you've got to the point with your side project where you're being paid for it which is what um mike montero in his article was basically saying so um there's a load of questions have you any thoughts or answers donna i have thoughts um i was while you were talking about that i was sitting here thinking when we say side projects we can't really call them hobbies because like all of the ones you've listed no matter how much you enjoy doing them they are all done with the intention ultimately of developing your skill base like you know that's why you specifically want to do it and to be able to add something to your you know to your cv or to your to your writing in the future even that's what you're talking about you're talking about projects that will aid you in becoming either better known as a writer or giving you new ideas for writing or something like that so they're not we're not talking about free time activities here and this is what i wanted to say is that that's so much of our life so you're talking about having a full-time job and then you're talking about writing and then you're talking about developing writing-related projects on the side of it. And today, when we got back from work, me and my other half just said, let's just get in the car. Let's just go and drive out of the city, find a lake and go for a walk. Oh my goodness, what did you do with Ivy? <laughs> we took her. Okay. We, we flung her in the back of the car. She was well excited. She brought um, Unky Monkey and Elmo with her her two uh, mates and it was amazing it's very sunny here at the moment you know it's september but there is just a gorgeous light in the air the trees are starting to change color we found this amazing lake and we walked around it and the reason i'm telling you this is because for two things first of all i'll we'll put in the show notes a link about the fact that you know just doing things like walking is so important for writing aside of like you know doing anything technical anything school related but the other reason I want to tell you is because we walked past a rowing club and there were so many people at that rowing club of all ages they were all completely passionate about being out on the water they were chatting they were helping each other taking boats in and out and stuff like that and I just thought we are spending so much of our lives trying to make ourselves better individually we should be spending more time going out and being better with other people and enjoying stuff with other people and that will make us better writers and give us more stuff to write about so <laughs> this when I think about projects and stuff like that I am I love doing the podcast but the thought of taking on more projects you know to to better my personal and professional portfolio I'm just I, I just think no I just want to get in the car go and walk around a lake and look at other people rowing or join a club I miss it. Does that add anything at all to what you said, Ian? Well, it does, and I miss those things too. I mean, I've um, I've played for various football, cricket, sports teams over the uh, over the years, and I haven't done for the last three or four years. And I do miss it. I do miss being able to do that more. But I think a lot of this is once again, I'm afraid, it's tied very much into the fact that we've got 
uh, three two-year-olds. I've got two, you've got one. You knew that. Um, and it's... Um, I think all of these things are probably interlinked. It's interesting that you, what you said about it being um, a, a kind of a portfolio thing and like something to add to your CV. That that is kind of true, and that's what I was saying right at the start of the show. Is that some of these side projects that I've worked on over the years have, and this is, I guess, part of my point is that, you know they, they they've helped me get jobs. Um, mm. At the moment, I'm being I'm I'm being employed as a freelancer. And for the last month, I've been editing, recording and editing video, recording and editing audio. And, and you know, I've been perfectly honest with the company that's employed me to do this and said this is not something that I've been doing for 20 years. This is not something that I am what I think most people would consider to be a professional. But I can do a, a, more than what you need me to do. And, you know, and they're delighted with what I've been doing. And but I've been... It- Sorry, I was just... Carry on. No, just to finish, my point was that I would not have had those skills as kind of um, uh, in any way, really, at all, if I hadn't have taken on side projects, like editing audio. Editing a podcast is not the hardest thing to do in the world. It really isn't. But it's taught me how to use, you know, the basic tools that you need in order to edit audio. Yes. And is this not like a natural kind of career progression? And as you get older as a human being, the fact that at the start you these had to be side projects because you you weren't able to with what you were doing now that you're a freelance writer you can actually be developing these kind of skills in the different projects you're doing and that it will be like a a spiral you know your one project will lead you on to another project with new skills and stuff like that and and you now have a bit more space in your working hours to be able to develop these things which may free up your your private time to do things other things well that's true and that is what's happened with me i've gone freelance and it, it is it, i i can see where i would have more space in the day in order to do these things but uh, but every time i spent uh, I w- I w- every time i would spend time on doing one of the for example one of them's uh, a pod- an idea for a podcast i'm not going to share it because it's a cracker but um oh selfish <laughs> but it's an idea for, it's an idea for another podcast and i think it would be really really good and i'd love to do it i'd absolutely love to do it um, and I could sort of do it during the day. At the moment, I'm I'm not working on Fridays, for example. But if I'm doing that podcast, which wouldn't make me any money in the foreseeable future, I may get picked up by a network. I may take sponsors on myself. So it could make money. And there is always that chance. And that's part of the reason I think a lot of people take side projects on, because there's always a chance it might end up being something that makes money. But let's mm. say that it, it doesn't and it probably won't. That's time. That, uh, that time that I'm spent, I spend doing that. I could spend either writing my novel, or perhaps more importantly, in terms of you know, living terms, uh, getting ex- more client work in, trying to find extra work to do on the Friday, mm-hmm. pick up on uh, to do different things, uh, to bring money into the house. It's kind of that's and that's kind of the problem. That's the that's the balance. Where do we? How do we know what is just a, a side project that isn't going to go anywhere? Fun though it might be to do, and mm-hmm. how do we? How do we kind of go, actually, that's not just a side project. That podcast idea of mine, that might actually end up making me, for example, if it takes me a day to record and produce, it might actually bring in a day's worth of uh, monthly, um, uh, um, what do you call it, salary. Wonga. But it's, it's it's impossible to know, I guess, until you do it. It is impossible to know. And I guess... Sometimes you just need to say, okay, look, I can't do everything. And it's amazing to have ideas, 
but you have to sort them. Yeah. And, and you I, have to shelve some things. I, mean, I think, not, I think, sorry. No, no, I, was, I mean, it's, you know, it's just, there is not enough time to do all of these things. So you've got your priority list. How many side projects should you have? That's a really, really difficult question because I feel like you're someone who does spend a lot of time on projects like this compared to other people that might just lie around watching Homeland. How dare you? I've not, I did not watch four episodes last night. <laughs> so I already think that you're someone who's very motivated to do a lot of side projects. So you probably have more capacity to do it than some other people might have. Um, but, you know, I guess you're going to get to a point where you're like, nope, haven't got time for that one, even though it's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, so... Oh, yeah, we, we need to go. But I, I think to kind of sum up, this was meant to be kind of perhaps a longer discussion. Perhaps we can do a bit of... I'll tell you what we should do. We we, we kind of need to uh, start wrapping up now. But I do think that this is something that affects an awful lot of people, even if it's just something as simple as starting a blog because you feel like you need an author platform if you're going to get published or even if you are published. It could be that you are uh, like me and just have all these different ideas for projects that may or may not come to something. And, uh, and you're not sure which ones to start or what to do about it. I would love very much if people got in touch to tell us their experience of these things. I mean, just to kind of wrap up the way that I think about it, I still do believe that it's projects, projects, projects. It's an amazing way to, like you say, really build up your CV and, and you never quite know. Like I would never have predicted that I would be um, editing videos for, for a living. I just would never have predicted it, even like a year ago. It's basically I'm using the skills I learnt doing youtube videos like of, of myself the stuff that i learned in that i'm now able to sort of apply and earn money from i would have never done that if i hadn't have actually sort of had a go at that side project i would never have been able to have got into this position so you do never know but i think ultimately with these side projects i the way i kind of feel about it is back to that same question um of uh of what do you want to be known for? It's the old Mike Hurley command space question for those of you who know what that means. What do you want to be known for ultimately? So in 20 years time, do I want to look back at 2014 and say, that was the year I started that uh, short lived podcast? <laughs> or do I want to say, oh, that was the year I broke the back of my second novel that went on to sell 145,000 copies? Yes, quite. Okay, so how can people get in touch with us to talk about these very subjects? Um, at The Flying Poet is me on Twitter. And I am at Ian Broom on Twitter. And that's probably the best way to uh, get in touch with us. Ian Broom, that's I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E. Um, you, can, you can email as well. You can, um, uh, if you like, you can go to my website, ianbroom.com. Uh, we've got, there's a Facebook page, but, you know, don't bother with that. Twitter, do that. Go to Twitter and tell us what you think, how you feel about side projects and, um, um, and the balance between side projects and actual real-life work. And, and your writing, how do you handle it? How do you think you should handle it? Do you handle it badly, do you feel? And uh, other questions too. Indeed. Uh, well, thanks. I'll see you next week, everyone, I guess, because we're just, uh, we haven't got any more time, have we? No. It's been a pleasure as always. It has. We shall uh, speak to you soon. Bye.